Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 265. Every time I say the number, it blows my mind. We've done 265 episodes of this show. That's unbelievable. Um, Look, we have a massive show today. I don't sound fired up. I'm so pumped. Uh, we have a, I've got a, a really, this is the longest episode we'll do in a while. Uh, jam-packed with great stuff. I have a surprisingly large amount of stuff to talk about revolving around the NFL preseason. Um, I got to say briefly, I want to share a story. I went to my dad's house last night, and uh, we sat around the fire in his backyard. Me, my dad, and uh, our friend Kevin, the three of us are on the fire, have whiskey. And um, as I'm driving home last night, I left around midnight, and um, I just had this overwhelming feeling of gratefulness. I want to share with you guys because I'm so appreciative of the life I get to live. I'm so grateful. I, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful you watch, you listen, whoever you are out there. If you're watching or listening, I'm just, I appreciate you. I'm grateful. I really am so happy and fulfilled. And I wanted to share that because I just am so grateful for the life I get to live and the show I get to do. It means a lot to me. Now, the biggest news right now, it's been confirmed, the NFLPA, the Players Association, told the players that there will be no 2020 preseason games this year in the NFL. So the NFL preseason is canceled. And, uh, you know, now most of the NFL heard this news and they were so happy. They celebrated. It was a big deal. And they were just grateful because players hate playing games that don't matter where they're not paid and they're risking injury. They just, why, why would you want to play in the preseason if you're a starter in the NFL? There's no benefit. They don't want it. They don't want to play. And there are a, there is a small group of players that are affected. We'll talk about them uh, down the road in a minute. But first, I want to say, I could not believe my ears when I heard someone call this move, the, the cancellation of the NFL preseason. Someone said, this is a massive deal. It's a big problem. I can't believe it. And I, I just, I, I really don't buy it. People are saying, you know, this is going to greatly affect week one of the NFL season. We're going to see sloppy games and teams aren't going to be ready. Week one's going to be a mess in the NFL. I, I I just don't agree. I, I, I don't like maybe there's going to be a little tiny bit of sloppy play the first drive or two because teams are like they haven't played in a while. It will be their first live real football game. But after the third drive, everything's going to be normal. <laughs> the first quarter of the first game, you're going to figure it out. And second quarter is going to be great. Um, you know, make no mistake. The NFL preseason is meaningless for most of the NFL and it's really wild and it's just weird to me how people have overreacted and said that's this really important thing I, I just I don't I don't buy it at all now here's something crazy so Aaron Rodgers got a new coach last year which means a brand new offense to learn a new system um, and you would think well he better play in the preseason he's got to make sure he's on the same page as rec- as his receivers and the offense around him if they're going to be in sync Aaron Rodgers has got to play in the preseason to make it work. And I ask you, how many games do you think, and Aaron Rodgers made it to the NFC Championship game last year. He had a great year. How many games do you think Aaron Rodgers played in the NFL preseason? New offense, new coach, new system. Oh, wait, guess what? Aaron Rodgers didn't play in the preseason. He didn't touch the field one time. During the preseason last year in 2019. Did not throw a pass. Oh, but the preseason is very, very important. Because you can't be ready 
without the preseason. And people keep saying, you know, it's going to cause sloppy play. Shut up. You know, Drew Brees, how many passes did Drew Brees throw in the preseason? Six. Drew Brees had one drive the entire preseason last year. Threw six passes. That's it. Tom Brady, three drives, two punts. He stayed until they got a touchdown on the third drive. They got a touchdown, 12 passes, 75 yards, three drives. That's the entire preseason for Tom Brady last year in 2019. Matt Ryan threw 616 passes last year during the regular season. How many in the preseason? 28. Now, Lamar Jackson threw the ball 16 times in the preseason. He won the NFL MVP. My point is this. Stop telling me that losing the preseason is a massive deal. It's not. It's not a big deal. There's only one quarterback in the NFL that's going to be affected by not having the preseason. It's Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. He is expected to be the Bengals starter day one, week one. And my evidence for this, look at Kyler Murray last year. Kyler Murray played the first three weeks of the NFL preseason last year. He actually had some, a solid amount of throws, a solid amount of time last year. He was also a number one overall pick and the Cardinals starter day one, week one. But Joe Burrow is the only quarterback expected to play week one of the NFL season and be the starting quarterback in the NFL this year. Nobody expects Justin Herbert to play. Two is expected to not play. They got Ryan Fitzpatrick. They got Tyrod Taylor in L.A., and, and the reality about Joe Burrow is preseason or not, this year was always going to be a learning and growing year for Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. So how big of a deal is it on quarterbacks to not have the NFL preseason? It's not. It's not a big deal at all. Now, for backups, the preseason is not meaningless. For starting players in the NFL, nobody wants to play the preseason. Nobody wants to get hurt. It's meaningless for you. But if you're a backup, if you're an undrafted free agent, or you are a guy who's, you know, they keep 53 guys on the roster. If you're number 54, the preseason is a massive opportunity. It gives you an opportunity to show what you can do on film. Video evidence of your skills. And film is very valuable. Let me tell you, um, a little over a year ago, I started playing college football again for a brief period. And... I had to gather my film, and without film, I could not have made that happen. If I didn't have film, and I had to literally show them video of me throwing at the time to make it clear, no, I can still play. I can still throw the ball. I had to like, film myself at a park to show them I still have the ability to throw the football. Without film, it's really hard to get a job or get a scholarship. Film gets people paid. It's very, very valuable. And so losing the NFL preseason is a loss for guys at the bottom of the NFL, guys you've never heard of. People who are backups that make the league minimum, they care tremendously. Now, for a long time, there's been this debate in the NFL, is the preseason even needed? And some people say, oh, astoundingly, yes. Some people say no. And the question really is, how do you evaluate players without the preseason? This is why I love the XFL so much. The XFL, to me, was great because it was an opportunity to give players a chance to play. We'll talk about the XFL in a minute. I want to say first, though, coronavirus has changed a lot, of, a lot, a lot, a lot of things. And I gave you a whole reason why it's kind of meaningless. Players don't want to get hurt. They don't get paid. It's not a good deal for the players, especially the starting players. It matters for a small amount of people. I have a solution for that in a minute. But we've lost so many things during coronavirus, and some of those changes are going to be permanent. 
You know, my favorite bar is gone. Low bar, downtown Vancouver, Washington, gone forever. Out of business, closed, gone. And kind of like my favorite bar, something that's actually a true loss that I'll be sad about, I, I really, really hope that the NFL preseason is one of the things that we lose during coronavirus and never comes back. It'd be great. It's not needed. Like People keep telling me it's so important. College football doesn't play a preseason game. I mean, yeah, they have non-conference games, and some of those teams play cupcakes week one or two, but USC-Alabama was week one this year. That's a big game. It matters. It's super important. There's no preseason leading up to that. You practice a bunch. I just, I'm not, I, you're, you can't convince me that the preseason is super important. Drew, Drew Brees threw six passes in the preseason. What did he, what are we, he's not going to miss out on anything this year. Practice is enough for him. I, I just, I, I don't buy it. Like not having a preseason by drive number two, Drew Brees is ready to go. He's got one drive to make it work. And guess what? In the one drive Drew Brees played last year in the preseason, he scored a touchdown. Like, so I, I just don't buy it that Drew Brees needs a bunch of time to prepare. Another, it's the same around the NFL. Aaron Rodgers in a new offensive system did not touch the field once during the NFL preseason last year. That says enough to me. It's just not important. Now, one of the rumors that keeps circulating around that I, I keep getting uh, I keep having people send me this article over and over again. It's different articles, but it's the same story repeatedly. Is there are rumors that somebody is going to buy the XFL. And people forget the XFL was working. It was going pretty well before coronavirus, you know, ran <laughs> you know, they ran into a pandemic. XFL's going well. It's a good football league. Bam, global pandemic, got to shut down players. I know people in the league, they had the virus, the entire team got it. It was a big deal. And because it was a side project for Vince McMahon, the owner of the WWE, he put it on the side to try to make sure that... I, he's like, look, my main business, the WWE, has to survive, and the XFL got left on the back burner. A pandemic is a really bad time to start a side business, a side venture. It's just not a good time. And I love the idea of branching paths based on decision-making where, you know... And there's a world of infinite timelines, and if there is a world of infinite timelines, this is silly. I'm putting on my, my silly hat. I, my, I love this kind of stuff, though. So my point is that in the world of infinite timelines, there is a possible future where enough decisions are made in the right order where both the NFL preseason is completely gone moving forward. They don't bring it back. And then maybe the XFL gets bought and becomes a league again. And in that possible future... The XFL could be a place for backups that would play that are on the fringe of the NFL to play a little bit, gather film, and show coaches what they can do. That's a great solution. It's not, this is like the dream of dreams of dreams. It's, if the right things all happen in order, this could happen. So the NFL's got this weird issue where the league, you know, most of the league hates the preseason. Players don't want to play. They're not interested and you definitely don't want your starters getting hurt. Uh, we watched Darius Geis last year tear his ACL in the preseason for the team in Washington in a meaningless game where he wasn't getting paid. Uh, that's a really, really bad look. Or Julian Edelman a couple years ago, preseason, tore his ACL. Not good either. With no money on the line, what's the incentive? The preseason is ridiculous. It's nonsense. And I, I do acknowledge, even without the preseason, there still would be a need for some players to have a way 
to gather film and show NFL teams what they could do and earn opportunities. And I think if the XFL comes back, it'd be a great way for players that are on the fringe of the NFL to step in and show what they can do. I loved the XFL. I thought it was great. It was kind of that middle ground between college football, a little better than college football talent-wise, just underneath the NFL talent-wise, that perfect middle ground. I would love to see the XFL come back. Now, here's another thing that will be affected by not having the preseason. Forget playing on the field. Football is football, whether you're in a building, a dome, no matter where you are, football is football. High school field, college field, practice field, doesn't matter. You know the game of football. But one of the impacted things that not having an NFL preseason is going to be, I guess one of the things that's going to be impacted is there's no rehearsal. There's no dress rehearsal. There's no day to practice the logistics of game day. What that means is that week one for a rookie will be the very first time that they've done a lot of that stuff, experiencing a game day routine. And if I was a coach in the NFL, I would take a 24-hour period. You sacrifice a day to simulate a game day experience. Sleep in the team hotel. This is the bus to ride over to the stadium. Especially because this year is going to be a little bit different and weird with coronavirus. You especially want to take your team through the motions anyway. Where you go, here's the stadium. Here's what it's like. Here's the team hotel. Here's what it's like to move stuff from your locker at the practice facility to the game day site. Let's go through the motions. Let's scrimmage. Let's practice on the, the stadium field. Let's get a rhythm so you know what it's like. Because what you don't want is for the very first time, week one, a player goes to the stadium to be their first time going through that entire routine. It's those little tiny details no one notices. Oh, my gosh, I left blank. I left my stupid socks that are important to me for my undersocks. Whatever it is, you want to figure out that routine earlier than later. But again, I want to repeat this. When it was announced that the NFL preseason was canceled, the majority of the NFL celebrated. They were happy. They were like, yes, we don't have to play meaningless games. We're not going to risk injury. We're not going to play in games where we're not getting paid. College football doesn't have a preseason. I just don't buy into it. Again, I go back to Aaron Rodgers didn't play last year in the preseason. Took his team to the NFC Championship game. Tom Brady had three drives, 12 passes, 75 yards the entire preseason. Lamar Jackson, 16 passes the entire preseason. Stop telling me it's this crazy important thing. It's not. I don't don't even know what happened to the quarterback. I didn't look into it because it's enough to me. I do feel sad for undrafted guys. You know, why does the NFL big picture-wise need a preseason? They don't really need it, but it's the benefit of the preseason is it gives the players at the bottom of the NFL, guys on the fringe, an opportunity to show what they can do, put stuff on film, and losing the preseason is not a big deal, but it does impact those guys, and I feel bad for those that small amount of people guys that are undrafted, guys have a harder road already in the NFL that now don't have preseason games to prove what they can do. But big picture-wise, the preseason does not matter. This is not a big story. It's not significant. And I'm so shocked that people overreacted to that. And I know that's hard to convince you. People are like probably really angry at me. Like, how could you say that? Because I'm sure 
the entire day yesterday, people heard sports commentators say, oh, it's such a big deal. We're going to miss the preseason. And I just talked about it for like 14 minutes in a row. So I get it. I know you're like, it's a big deal, Zach. It's not a big deal. It's going to be okay. Week one's going to be fine. Give it one drive. Tom Brady's going to figure it out. I'm really not concerned. You pra- Don't act like players aren't going to practice. They're going to be fine week one. And I, I just don't buy into this fact that, oh, no, the preseason's such a big deal. It's not. Okay, um, it's a drink water. We're heading towards a really weird situation in the NFL with quarterbacks where the quarterback position has really been elevated recently. Uh, starting caliber quarterbacks are getting more and more common. And if you look around the NFL right now, every team has a quarterback. And every team really... Most teams have a plan long-term at the quarterback position. We've never seen a situation like this where we have three new quarterbacks joining the NFL next year. We have Trevor Lawrence. We have Justin Fields. We have Trey Lance from North Dakota State. Um, we, we have all these quarterbacks joining the NFL. And I, I look and go, are they needed? Like, is there really a spot for them? Someone will find a spot, right? Somebody will be like, hey, Trevor Lawrence at that price is better than what I have. But how many teams really need a quarterback next year? The Patriots, maybe. They have Cam Newton, Jarrett Stidham. Now, the Colts make sense. They have Phillip Rivers. He might be on his final year. Uh, But he signed a a two-year contract, I believe. The Steelers have Big Ben. He's getting older. Maybe he retires. Drew Brees in New Orleans is getting older. But aside from those teams I listed, um, the Raiders have two quarterbacks. They have Marcus Mariota and Derek Carr. I'm not sure either of them can play, but we'll find out. The Bears got Nick Foles. They're okay. My point is there's not really a lot of vacancy throughout the NFL. Now, I'm, I am not confident that Justin Herbert, the quarterback of the L.A. Chargers, is going to work. But even, even the Chargers, you're going to give him two or three years. Like, if Justin Herbert fails in L.A., it's still going to be quite a while before they need another quarterback to replace him. And then look at guys like former starters, Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton, they're backups. They're not even playing. My point is, uh, Jalen Hurts too. Jalen Hurts is a guy who I think I think Jalen Hurts is better than Justin Herbert. Crazy or angry, we'll see in like four years. Is Jalen Hurts ever going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL? I would not be shocked. So again, we have three new quarterbacks entering the NFL: Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Ohio State, Trey Lance, North Dakota State. And my point is that the quarterback market right now is getting oversaturated. There are only 32 starting quarterback jobs in the NFL. And what if there are 32 jobs and 36 guys who can do the job? 38, maybe. Or who are capable of being starting quarterbacks and playing at a good level. Pineapple juice. Now, my question is, how is this going to impact quarterback contracts? This quarterback bubble, the market being oversaturated. Now, elite quarterbacks at the top are not going to be affected. Guys like Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, they're going to be fine. They're not in danger of losing out on any money. Nothing's going to change for guys like that. But if you're an NFL team, if you're an NFL team with an average quarterback, and there are two quarterbacks available where you go, one guy is way cheaper than the other. We can have Derek Carr at $100 million, or we'll say um, 
uh, Andy Dalton. Just throw it at Andy Dalton for $7 million a year. And we're like, well, I mean, the, he's like a third of the price. Wouldn't you take a cheaper quarterback? And you're like, if we take a cheaper quarterback who's good enough, we can build an incredible roster and make it work. I just would not be shocked by that. So is it possible that oversaturating the quarterback market could, in fact, lower the price on middle-of-the-road quarterbacks in the NFL? Is it possible? I think it is. You know, price coincides with rarity. And if finding a, star- if finding a starting caliber quarterback who can get the job done is a lot less rare, could that not drive the price down? Again, why would you pay Derek Carr $100 million when you can find another quarterback who can do his job for a lot less? In business, in the business world, when you oversaturate a market, what it does is it slows down your sales. And in this situation, the quarterback contract is the bill of sale. It's the sale. And so could an oversaturated quarterback market drive QB prices down? It seems to make sense to me. Now, could it have some unexpected you know, consequence? Could it actually somehow do the opposite thing and, and drive the price up? Maybe like, hey, there's so many guys you got to have. We're all competing for a price. You want me, you can have the other guy, but I'm, a, I'm higher and you want my talent. I don't know. I, I don't know. But something's going to happen. There's a quarterback bubble right now. And when it does indeed pop and there are more quarterbacks than there are jobs available, something's going to give. Either direction, whether it's going to lower the price of an average quarterback or raise the price of an average quarterback, it's going to go up anyway because of the salary cap increase coming, you know, the impending salary cap increase. But my point is that we might see if there are more quarterbacks, if there's 36 starting caliber quarterbacks in the NFL and only 32 jobs available, my belief is that it's going to drive the price down of an average quarterback. I don't know. Could have the opposite effect, but I'm really excited to track that storyline and see what happens because right now there just there just are not that many teams that desperately need a quarterback. I, I can't even think of one this year. There's not a team that really needs a quarterback. Every team has a quarterback that they like for at least this year, and most teams have a plan even for the year after that at the quarterback position. Okay, um, I'm gonna drink some more pineapple juice. I love this stuff. It's really good for helping you talk. It's kind of weird. Water, you gotta be hydrated, and then pineapple juice are like a two things that. Help you talk for an extended period of time. So, Adam Schefter reported. Adam Schefter came out this morning. I saw it on Instagram. Adam Schefter said, effective immediately, Washington will call itself the Washington football team. That's pending the adoption of a new name. And it's the... It's not the final rebranding of the team. It's only a temporary name for now. They're going to have the same color scheme, uh, the burgundy and gold, and the logo on the helmet's going to be replaced by just the, the player number on their helmet. And I really, really love this move. I think it's a great fix, a good solution where it's smart, it's clear, it's a great, like a Band-Aid or like a, it's like duct tape. Fixing your car, my headlight fell off one time on my car. I used duct tape until I could replace the headlight and get the parts correctly. This is a great duct tape fix where you're like, yes, this makes a lot of sense. I think a new name is going to take a long time, whether it's decision-making and market testing or legal and logistics. I don't know, but there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that's going to make the Washington name change take a long time, in my opinion. 
and they need a plan for week one concrete and you know in place. And it might be that this is what the Washington football team goes by the entire rest of the 20 season, 2020 season. Like They might, for the entire year, have these uniforms and this name and stick with it for a while. And honestly, it might even stick... After that, I kind of like I like calling, the Washington football team is not a bad name. It's not terrible. Do you really need a cheesy mascot? I don't know. There's a college near me called uh, Ever, Evergreen College. They have a mascot called the Evergreen Gooey Ducks. Like the Gooey Ducks, oh, it's like some weird seafood thing. It's a terrible name in my opinion. I think they might be better off just going by the Evergreen College basketball team, the Evergreen College baseball team. Why do you need a mascot if it's a terrible name like the Gooey Ducks? And so... I actually think it's not a terrible idea to maybe just stick with the Washington football team. At least for now, it's a great idea, and I liked where they're going with that. And if it sticks, it sticks, and I'd be okay with that. Now, the website domain, dcsentinels.com, was registered by the same people who run the current website for the team in Washington, D.C. And my question now is, so is the new name going to be the Sentinels? I mean, could that be in the running? The Sentinels? The Washington, D.C. Sentinels? That's a, in my opinion, oh boy, that's an awful, <laughs> awful name. I don't like it. I think it's terrible. I think it's worse than every single XFL team name combined. Worse than the AAF, worse than the XFL. The D.C. Sentinels. It's just not interesting. It's not good. I, li- I don't even like the Washington Warriors. I think the Washington Warriors is way better than the D.C. Sentinels. Sentinels is terrible, in my opinion. Um, Now, it's not because of what a Sentinel is. A Sentinel is a soldier or a guard, and I guess it makes a lot of sense to have the team in the nation's capital be military-related. It makes a lot of sense to me, actually. So it's not about what the mascot represents, but the word Sentinel, like, not good. I mean, no disrespect to the military. It's not about that. It's just the name is weird and doesn't fit. It's very generic. It's boring. I, I, I'm not in favor of it. I don't like it at all. Maybe, I doubt this, maybe it's meant to represent the mutant hunting robots in X-Men. I, that'd be quite interesting, but I, I, I doubt that. Um, I, I mean, really, like, Sentinels is the best you could come up with. I hope not. Now, it's just a trademark. It really doesn't mean anything. It's, it's a website domain. It could mean nothing. It really probably might. My belief is it's a people covering their butt to make sure that they have a backup plan in case something goes wrong. Like, we have dcsentinels.com at the very least, so we can run it if we need to. It's probably just DC covering their butt. But And maybe also, there's a reason why this came out to the public. Maybe the reason why this got out there and was leaked out was because they're testing the name. They put it out there to see, hey, do people like the name Sentinels? I do not. I think it's god-awful. It's terrible. I'm not a fan. Um, maybe other people react and they like it. It's, this is my preference, not your show. Um, I don't like Sentinels, but if someone does, maybe they do, and maybe that's a name they go with. Um, but I'll tell you what. I think Sentinels is a terrible, terrible name. Not a fan. Don't like it. Please do not name the team the Sentinels. Get more water. Um, so in sports, the most valuable player goes to a new story. People love the idea of newness. We love the new kid on the block, the new storyline, the fun, new shiny object. And I've talked about how in the NFL, 
In my opinion, Russell Wilson has been the most valuable player in the NFL for the last two years, where two years ago, he got beat out by this new young star, Patrick Mahomes. He won the NFL MVP because people love the new story, Patrick Mahomes, even though in my opinion, Russell Wilson should have been MVP that year. And then this past year, Lamar Jackson had a breakout sophomore season, wins MVP. And once again, I felt like Russell Wilson lost out on the NFL MVP award to the idea of newness, the new story. People love falling in love with the new thing, the new hot storyline. So Russell Wilson loses out to the MVP to the idea of newness. The same exact thing happens to LeBron James. Three years ago, people became obsessed with Russell Westbrook. He was averaging a triple-double, and he won MVP, not LeBron James. Now, the very next year, Russell Westbrook once again averaged a triple-double in the NBA, and nobody cared. Oh, well, last year, the triple-double was the most incredible thing ever. But people in the NBA moved on to the next big story, James Harden. Oh, he's got the beard. He scores a lot. He's doing cool stuff. Can you believe it? And then last year's new shiny object was Giannis. And I actually, Giannis, I have no contention there. LeBron was on a bad Lakers team. um, And LeBron didn't deserve it last year. Giannis did. I like that one. I love Giannis. But my point is this, that MVP usually goes to the new story. The new, fun, exciting storyline that people can latch on to. Earlier in LeBron's career, that actually worked in his favor. When LeBron was younger and newer to the NFL, he won back-to-back MVPs. Not once, but twice. Two with the Cavs and then two back-to-back MVPs with the Miami Heat. But after his second MVP in Miami... The NBA kind of moved on. They're like, oh, let's look at Kevin Durant. Then Steph Curry. Wow, Steph Curry. He's shooting threes. It's crazy. Back-to-back MVPs for Steph Curry. Then later, Russell Westbrook. Then James Harden. Then Giannis. And so LeBron is constantly competing with the idea of newness. People love a new story. They're tired of LeBron. But there's another factor that LeBron is also working against. It's the GOAT debate. You know, greatest of all time. People love that debate. People compare LeBron James and Michael Jordan all the time. And if you look back at history, Michael Jordan, he won five MVPs. LeBron James won four. He's won four so far. And some NBA writers will never say this, but they do not want to give LeBron James a fifth MVP award because they do not want to hurt Michael Jordan's legacy. They, they can't wrap their minds around it. They, they look at it and go, that five MVP awards is a special thing. It's, it's, there's a reverence there. There's a belief that's, that's the special thing Michael Jordan did. We cannot give LeBron a fifth because that helps LeBron's case against Michael Jordan. Now, LeBron James just came out. He said something I absolutely love. I'm going to add some context to it. LeBron has dominated the NBA for a long time. But when he played in Cleveland and in Miami, those are Eastern Conference teams. And people always would discredit LeBron by saying, well, he's in the Eastern Conference. The East is easy. 
Well, LeBron just gave this quote, quote, I love. He said, as far as the MVP race, I think to show what I am capable of doing, not only individually, but from a team perspective, us being number one in the West, it's incredibly valuable. It's incredibly relevant. And here's my point. No matter what LeBron does, people move the finish line. They move the goalposts. You know, this year it's about triple doubles. Next year, it's actually about points per game. And, you know, or, or, you know, this year it's because LeBron James is doing it because he's in the East and the East is easy. We're not going to give it to him this year. He's dominating bad teams. The reality is people just don't want to give LeBron James another MVP award. You know, this year people are saying, well, he, he might be number one in the West, which we always criticized him for not being in the Western Conference. But now that he is, we're going to say, well, he's got Anthony Davis helping him, so eh, he doesn't deserve it. My, there's no consistent logic with LeBron James and the MVP award. It's so infuriating to me. How come when people... How come people used to say when LeBron was in the Eastern Conference, well, the Eastern Conference is easy and discredit LeBron, but nobody has said that one time about Giannis. Nobody's saying, well, Giannis is dominating the Eastern Conference and they're not very good. It's a double standard. It's crazy. And I just wish that people would come out and admit the unfairness. I'd be okay if they said, look, we just don't want to give LeBron James another MVP award. If you're going to do it, you might as well put it out there and be honest and be public about it. But instead, every single year, people move the finish line. They come up with another reason why LeBron James should not be the NBA MVP. And the lesson here is that if you're successful for too long, the charm wears off and people stop liking you. They start resenting you for your success and they find a reason to not like you and discredit you. You got lucky or you're in a, a good situation or the people around you are bad that you're competing against. People find a reason to discredit you when the charm wears off and you've been successful for a long time. You go from, ooh, this new upstart to suddenly you're hated. And we can't believe you've been dominant for so long. I I really wonder, what happened the first time Tom Brady and the Patriots won a Super Bowl? My guess is people were like, can you believe this story? This is crazy. He's a sixth-round quarterback. Nobody believed in him. I am... I, was, I, don't, I wasn't really paying attention to sports back then. I was a very young child. But if I could go back, my guess is that the sports media was like, can you believe this really cool story? But by the sixth time they'd been to a Super Bowl, people were like, ah, the charm has worn off. We don't really care anymore. We're, we're tired of seeing the Patriots every single year. So the longer you're successful, you got to be aware that eventually people are going to start resenting you and discrediting your success and stop caring about you and stop being happy for your success and instead being angry, resentful, and trying to discredit you. That's exactly what's happening to LeBron James, and it's hard to watch. It's really frustrating. Guys, my name is Zach Schalmer. I'm going to take a short break. I need to just clear my throat and get it right. Uh, when I return, we're going to talk about LeBron James and the Lakers. Uh, we're going to talk about the Blazers. We're going to talk about we'll do predictions versus reality. Uh, we're going to talk about, man, there's some new stuff and some really big headlines. Mike Tyson's going to be in a fight recently, or uh, not recently, uh, in September. We'll talk about Mike Tyson. We'll talk about uh, there was a new organization in sports revealed that'll be really fun. I'm buying a jersey. It looks incredible. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break, and I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, man, I love my job. It's so much fun. Now, 
the Portland Trailblazers are my dark horse in the NBA restart. They're an underdog. However, I feel bad for whatever team might play against the Blazers in round one of the NBA playoffs. They got a really hard road. I admit that the the path to the the playoffs and the the championship really is going to be tough for the Blazers. They're three and a half games out of the playoffs. They're the ninth seed currently. Um, and if they finish ninth, but they're within four games of the eighth seed, they will play the eighth seed in kind of a tournament play-in scenario to get into the playoffs. And here's the reality about the Blazers. Having a long break from basketball really helped them. They're already really great in the backcourt. They got Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum. Uh, they have the 10-time All-Star Carmelo Anthony. He's a really interesting redemption story where he kind of we thought his career was over after some a bad last couple of years. He's made it work in Portland. It kind of revitalized his career to some degree. And even if it's not the greatest, it's fun to watch him. He's a good story to root for. But the break gave Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic a chance to heal and get stronger. You remember that two years ago, Yusuf Nurkic had a horrifying leg injury, uh, hadn't played at all this year so far. The break gave him a chance to heal and get back. And he's incredibly underrated and undervalued. Yusuf Nurkic is a big deal. This is not the same Blazers team that was the ninth seed the month that the NBA was shut down and took a break because of the pandemic. They're healthier. They're stronger. They have Zach Collins back. Zach Collins is a former Gonzaga star. Uh, He's back. He's better from a shoulder injury. He's been working really hard. The local Portland News where I live covers his journey a ton. He's been training really hard. He looks people I know in Portland that say they've worked with him and seen him do stuff. He's at a different level. He's playing really well and really prepared for uh, the NBA season again. I just go back to like the break helped the Blazers. They got two great role players. Remember Rodney Hood? Rodney Hood was uh, a role player with the Cavs back when uh, they did well with the Cavaliers. He's averaging 11 points per game. They have Hassan Whiteside who really stepped up at center, uh, filling in for Nurkic when he was injured, you know, giving them some height inside. I just go back to the Blazers are so much better than their record would show. But here's the thing really working in favor of the Portland Trail Blazers, the Blazers have nothing to lose. Nothing. They're an underdog. They're playing from behind. Some teams are guarding their lead. There are some teams in the playoffs that, you know, they're like, man, these eight seeding games, we just got to hold our position. We can't lose our spot in the playoffs. The Blazers are not in that position. The Portland Trail Blazers are playing from behind, and that's incredibly, incredibly freeing. They can go all out. They got nothing to lose. And having fun matters. The position the Blazers are in in this NBA restart is fascinating. It's interesting. They're a better team. They know they're a better team than they were. And because they're an underdog with everything to prove and nothing to lose, there's going to be people rooting for them on social media. Every night when they go back to their hotel room, they're going to get an emotional boost by looking at social media, seeing people go, The Blazers, oh my gosh, it's awesome. Can you believe it? It's so exciting. And so I got to tell you, the Blazers are my underdog team. I can't wait to watch them, and I cannot wait to see what happens with the Portland Trail Blazers. What do they do during the NBA restart? Now, the best thing for LeBron James and the Lakers' championship hopes would be for Giannis to win another NBA MVP. It would be back-to-back MVPs for Giannis. 
and LeBron James would quietly be angry. He'd go, okay, he's the MVP in the East. You know where when I was in the East, everyone said it was easy, the easy East. Okay, I see your double standard. I see it. But guess what? Me, LeBron James, I'm going to show you who the real MVP is. And the nature of this, this year's NBA season, the nature of it being in a bubble in Orlando, no crowd in the stands, it actually works to LeBron James' advantage. It's in Orlando, no fans in attendance. And many people say that, you know, Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers are the favorite to win the championship. I love Kawhi Leonard. I think Kawhi Leonard's awesome. My favorite thing about Kawhi is that he really doesn't care, like truly, genuinely. People say they don't, they do. No, Kawhi Leonard really doesn't care what anybody thinks. Kawhi Leonard does his own thing. He just wants to play basketball, do well, and win. He's got this mentality that nobody really seems to value. He just is a different dude who doesn't care about what you think. He cares about winning. There's that mentality where just he wants to win, that's it. But weirdly enough, and you would think the opposite, but weirdly enough, I think that having fans in the stands actually would have helped Kawhi Leonard, even though he doesn't care that they're there. Because to LeBron James, you know, imagine the Western Conference. It's, we're in the Staples Center, Lakers, Clippers, 20,000 people. LA is divided. The, the stadium is just massive. The, the arena is crazy and awesome. Uh, first of all, I'm sad we're going to miss out on that moment. But I think the way it's going to work out this year with We're going to probably get Lakers, Clippers, in the Western Conference Finals, I hope. And there may not be a crowd in attendance. It may not be the Battle of L.A. It would have been. But it's going to be way more memorable because of the coronavirus and the setting, the pandemic. And in an arena full of people, 20,000 fans, max capacity, LeBron James would play to the crowd. LeBron James would, would care what the crowd thinks. He'd be around it. He would care. He'd play to them. And Kawhi doesn't. Kawhi would just ignore the crowd. It's not a big deal to him. And you would think, okay, because they're playing in an empty gym, LeBron likes the crowd, feeds off of him. Kawhi doesn't care either way. You would think that would actually help Kawhi in the situation playing and literally in a gym. But I think quietly having to go against LeBron James, who's basking in the spotlight of the crowd, I think that would have been incredibly motivating for Kawhi. He would have been quietly more focused and I actually think having a crowd would have helped Kawhi in a matchup against LeBron James. The crowd would become white noise. The crowd becomes white noise, background noise. He's focused. He's angry. And he sees LeBron James doing his thing, showboating, saying hello to the crowd. He's like, I'm going to kill this guy. I am going to beat the Lakers and send them home crying. So in 2020, in 2020 this year, though, these NBA playoffs are in a quiet gym. There's no fans. It's mano a mano. It's like a, it's like a fight in an alleyway. It's just you versus me. It's kind of like the NBA Dream Team practices when you watch the, the ESPN documentary from years ago. Where you're like, wow. It was just dudes scrimmaging in a gym. It's very similar. And in that setting, even though there's no crowd, I think the advantage goes to LeBron. Here's the other thing. Not only is LeBron eager to prove himself. And I think in in a one-on-one setting, who wins? Like that intimate, quiet, who's got more dog? I think it's LeBron. But LeBron does very much care about his legacy. And this year, 2020, 
the 2020 NBA playoffs are the biggest stage ever. Ever. Everybody's stuck at home. Everybody's miserable. Coronavirus is going on. We're stuck at home. It's an election season. The news is terrible. I hate looking at it. Everybody needs something good to watch and something to root for. We are desperate in America looking for a reason to be happy and excited and smile and have fun. Everybody's going to watch the NBA Finals. The world is watching. And everybody's going to talk about this year's NBA Finals for years to come. It's a massive setting. The stage is set. And on the biggest stage with the most eyeballs ever, are you not going to bet on LeBron James? Are you not going to pick LeBron? It seems like a, a mistake, a, a bad, like a fool's error, a fool's bet, silliness. If you're not going to bet on LeBron in that situation, I don't know what you're doing. Especially if LeBron James doesn't win MVP, he's got everything to prove. A big stage. They picked Giannis instead of me. They said he's the most valuable player. Okay. I'll show you with everybody watching. That is why LeBron James and the Lakers are my favorite to win the NBA championship this year. The lesson I've learned in sports. Look at LeBron James' age. He gets older and he keeps improving and keeps staying relevant. The two people I will never, ever bet against in sports, Tom Brady and LeBron James. Every single time you think they're done, they exceed your expectations. And until they're really done and it's very clear, I'm not going to pull the, the, the cord too early. Until LeBron gives me a reason not to, I'm going to bet on LeBron every single time. He is absolutely, him and the Lakers are absolutely my favorite to win the NBA Finals. Okay, um... The NHL announced a new expansion team in their league, the Seattle Kraken, K-R-A-K-E-N. Um, look, I, heard, I saw a really funny a comment on their Instagram post where people are like, are you going to call it the Crack House? Is that what you're going to call your stadium? The Crack House are, are, <laughs> are the fans going to be called the Crackheads? It's silly. It's fun. I like it. But actually, the name Seattle Kraken is quite interesting. I like the name. And here's what they really, really nailed. Um, they, they made this video, it's on their Instagram page, the official, the official Seattle Kraken Instagram page. There's this really sweet edited video with like a storm and ship and it's really dark. And if you look at me, like my shirt and my studio, it's pretty clear. I like dark tones and the video, the hype video is great. Uh, really sweet filmmaking and the logo, the graphic design for the Seattle Kraken. Oh my goodness. Phenomenal. I can't. I, I looked at it and went, this is really, really great, phenomenal work. They have this really cool logo. It's an S with like a serpent's tail in the middle and this red eye looking out. It's all ominous on the black background or the dark blue background. And then they have this alternate logo. It's got a, it's a ship's anchor. And the point of the anchor is actually the space needle. And you're like, man, that looks cool. Um, the graphic designer, whoever made the logos for the NHL team, the Seattle Kraken, well done, my friend. That's phenomenal. Um, and whoever, the executive who hired him did a great job. He deserves credit. He or she deserves credit too. Uh, whoever hired that graphic designer, uh, he, she, whoever they are, they, everybody in that situation deserves a lot of credit, man. Uh, the logo is phenomenal. And the jerseys are sweet, man. I, I, the red eye looking out of that S to me is so cool. I'm buying it. Uh, the minute I can, the minute I have money and there's an opportunity to buy one, at some point I'm going to buy one of those Seattle Kraken jerseys because it's just too cool. 
I think the coolest jerseys already are hockey jerseys. They look really cool when you wear them with jeans and a T-shirt. I just like how they look. Um, and, and I know I live in the Portland area, but I really have no affinity to Seattle. Seattle's not my city. I don't really care. But, man, the logo has sold me. The Seattle Kraken logo and graphic design, outstanding work. It's phenomenal. Great job to the NHL. And, uh, hey, I'm excited. I don't know, I don't know what they're going to do. They're, the product might be terrible on the field. But I will still wear a jersey because it just looks cool. It's one of those, those rare logos where you go, man, I, like the Jets logo is not memorable. The Jets logo does not stand out to me. And there are so many logos like that in sports where you're like, and the Jets is the first example I thought of. There's not really very many logos in sports you go, wow, that looks dang good. Seattle, that looks dang good. Really well done, very well designed, stood out a lot to me, and I really liked it. Um, In other news, Mike Tyson announced that he's going to have a fight against Roy Jones Jr. on September 12th. Now, the key word used in the announcement was that it's an exhibition Match meaning that, like, I think it's a meaningless fight, question mark, whatever that means. Um, I, I have no idea what to expect. Actually, I will say my expectation is that I don't think these guys are going to be trying to kill each other. Uh, Mike Tyson is, in fact, 45, 45, 54 years old. Mike Tyson is 5'4, 54 years old, in his 50s, doing a boxing match. Um, you know what, though, good for him, honestly. Like, the sports world right now needs entertainment, we need something to watch. Um, and even if this is a terrible idea, I'll watch it. It'll be fun. It'll be interesting. I, even if it's a bad fight, I think a lot of people are going to agree they're going to watch because it's like, what the heck? Mike Tyson, 54 years old? Wow, I guess. Like, fine. And it's, it's pretty clear to me this is a cash grab from Mike Tyson, but I don't blame him. I mean, again, the world needs entertainment. What a great time to do it. Um, and I just, why not? I just, I don't see why not. I'm, I'm down. I'm interested. I'll hit up my friends and we'll watch it together. Uh, an eight round fight on September 12th. It's a Saturday. And I want to say, since Mike Tyson is the topic of discussion, I have a moment. I'll never be able to say this again on the show. I just want to say, I will never, ever forget my favorite Mike Tyson moment is his appearance in the hangover. That's a legendary movie. Uh, and really like it's legendary. The first time you see it. You can never, ever replicate your first experience watching The Hangover. You can never get it back. The second time you watch it, it's not the same. It's never the same. Um, actually, maybe my girlfriend's never seen it. My girlfriend, it's very possible my girlfriend's never seen The Hangover. I can't wait to show it to her. That'll be great. Um, but I just, anyway, <laughs> The Hangover's great. If you've never seen it, go watch it. It's really fun. Um, and Mike Tyson fights Roy Jones Jr. September 12th. It's an exhibition fight, whatever that really means in this context, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be wacky, it's going to be fun, and I am totally down, I'm in, let's do it. Mike Tyson's going to fight at 54 years old. Why not? At this point, 2020, why not? It'll be fun, it'll be wacky and cool, and I'm totally all in. Okay, um, I want to drink some more pineapple juice. Helps your throat tremendously. Um... A couple days ago, I did a topic called Lessons I Learned Playing Football. And I thought about another thing. Last night, I was talking with my dad and some friends. No, it's my dad and his friend, Kevin. Uh, Kevin's my friend, too. Um, And I'm going to call this part two of Lessons I Learned Playing Football, where football taught me a lesson about risk-taking. 
And, you know, as a quarterback, the throws I regret the most are the throws where I didn't pull the trigger. I didn't throw the ball. I look back at my career and I go, I, I threw too many checkdowns. There are moments where, like, first and 10, I had a big 6'5 receiver named Marcus where, you know, he played college basketball and he's got a 5'7 guy on first and 10 guarding him one-on-one. I should have thrown the ball. I should have thrown a deep ball to Marcus. I don't know why I didn't pull the trigger more often on that. I should have taken a few more chances. I just That's my big regret from football is looking back. If there's any regret, it's that I didn't take more chances downfield in a one-on-one situation. You know, like a, a fade speed-out concept, I would take the speed out every single time. I had this thing I used to tell myself, you can't go broke taking a profit. If the five-yard out is there, take it every single time. And for the most part, yeah, take the five-yard out. But every once in a while, on first and 10, you get man coverage on the outside where there's just a, a height disadvantage, and you're like, it's first and 10. If you fail, it's going to be just second and 10. Throw the ball deep to Marcus. Let him go grab a jump ball. What's the worst that can happen? He's going to knock it down? I don't know. I just looked back and said, man, I threw the, the out route too many times in my career playing football. And it's a good analogy for life. You know, the point of this is to say that it's okay to take risks. In fact, I think it's valuable and very important to at times in your life and career, take some risks. All the best decisions in my life since that time in my my lifetime playing football, I've taken risks, and they've been all the best moments have been moments where I took a risk and you know kind of took a leap of faith, and it worked. At, once upon a time, I quit my job. I got a call on my lunch break on a Wednesday. Guy says, "Hey, want to come to L.A. and make a movie?" I quit my job on the spot. My boss was really nice to me. And Thursday morning, I left for L.A. The very next morning, 4 a.m., bam, in a car, driving to L.A. Got there Friday. It's, a long, it's like a 18-hour like drive, 14, 24, some, some crazy long drive from Portland to L.A. And then when I was in L.A., doing well, had a pretty nice life there. Um, like, not great, but like working on a movie. I'm in part of a crew. It's really fun. Um, I left that good opportunity in L.A. partway through to go to college. The benefit of college for me was I could take out a loan, meaning I didn't have to pay for it at the time. I could pay for it later, and I could have a room where I could stay for what felt like for free, even though it wasn't. I had a room where I could stay and live and make YouTube videos. And guess what What we're doing now? I have a place where I make YouTube videos, and it's my. It's, I'm not in college. It's my full-time job because at one point I took another risk. I left college and had enough money making YouTube. I said, I'm going to do this full-time. I don't need my degree. Let's just make YouTube videos and keep doing it. And I just go back to all the throws that I regret in football the most are the ones that I didn't pull the trigger on, the risks I didn't take. Now, you don't want to be Johnny Manziel. Right? I, I will never forget what Johnny Manziel did. There was this play. Oh, my gosh. It was a uh, – what was it? It was like a second and seven. First of all, I want to say there's, this, there's a fine middle ground between me, Captain Checkdown, Mr. Safe, where you're never taking risks, and then Johnny Manziel. As a quarterback, I was way too safe. And I threw too many checkdowns. I didn't throw the ball vertically enough. Johnny Manziel was completely the opposite, where Johnny Manziel was throwing balls up in the middle of the field against Alabama in a triple coverage, just getting lucky. And here's what I'll say. I'll never forget the Chick-fil-A Bowl, Duke versus Texas A&M. I think think it was second and seven. Johnny Manziel catches a snap. He's got a, a dig right over the middle, like a 15-yard gain wide open in the middle of the field. 
and he doesn't throw the ball. He looks at it, he goes, nah. He like takes a step back, tries to run forward, runs into a lineman, jumps on the guy's back, reverse pivot, spins out, extends a play to the left, throws the ball downfield for a touchdown, and you're like, what was that? Johnny Mantell broke every single rule of playing the quarterback position. You had a guy open for 15 yards, take it. And instead, he took this crazy risk, runs around, extends a play, throws a touchdown. And you're like, well, I guess, I mean, look, that's stupid and lucky and amazing. So there's that fine middle ground again between me, Mr. Safe Captain Checkdown, my playing career where I didn't take enough chances. And then there's that, you also can't take risks like Johnny Manziel, where Johnny Manziel is just reckless. But there's that middle ground where I really believe you got to be willing to take some risks in life where... It just It's incredibly important. Some risks are worth taking. And I learned that from football. Again, the only throws I regret from my playing days are the throws I didn't make, where I had man-to-man coverage downfield and I didn't pull the trigger. That's my, my the other lesson I learned from football. Take risks. It's okay. I encourage you. It's fine. Maybe I'll do a follow-up at some point, a part three. Um, but my point is, man, football has so many life lessons you can learn and they're endless, and it's a great analogy for life. And um, just I, I love the sport of football so very much. Okay, uh, I'm going out of town for a couple of days. My best friend's family is going camping on a lake. I'm going to tag along and join them, um, take a few days off. I, I think on YouTube it's not going to be too noticeable because I have some videos scheduled that are going to come out while I'm gone. They're from this episode. They'll... This episode of the full podcast will come out while I'm gone. Uh, there might be like one day a video doesn't upload. Um, I want people to realize that sports are about to get really, really, really insane. Where you know this right now is the calm before the storm. Today is Thursday, so tonight baseball starts. Then we'll have the NBA. Then at one point we will have all three major American sports going. Football, baseball, basketball, all happening at the same time. Running all at once. That's crazy. And if football happens, there's going to be no break from July 29th until the first week of February when the Super Bowl is scheduled to happen. And so I'm going to take a couple days off. I'm going to reset my mind. Um, and i got to be honest, I need a mental reset. I, you know, I think the, the microcosm of this, the I knew I needed a break anyway. And then I had a comment happen on YouTube where not only has 2020 been tough, there was a comment on YouTube where some mean dude, I don't, normally comments don't bother me, but this guy goes, you know, you're not as smart as you think you are. And I, for whatever reason, it really bothered me. I was like, what do you mean I'm not as smart as I think I am? I, I've got, I'm a guy who loves sports. I don't know what that means. And I literally, I got so mad I deleted the comment, which I never do. I try to, if people hate me, that's fine. I leave their comments up. It's like kind of a, a free speech thing and they can say whatever they want and I try to just let it be. Uh, for me, I felt awful because I, I read this comment and I wondered, does someone watch my show and do I come across as arrogant and, you know, like an arrogant prick? I, I hope not. That'd be awful to me. Um, you know, but I, I have felt myself recently kind of getting, and it's a global pandemic. I, I don't know what's going on, but I, I've just felt myself getting more and more, a little bit snarky, a little bit more combative. And that's not what's in my heart. I don't want to be that guy. Um, again, I love sports. That's my heart is I, I love talking about sports. It's my favorite thing in the world. I love my job. I'm so happy. Um, and so I'm going to be in the woods for a couple days, just kind of writing and reading and hanging out with my girlfriend and uh, hanging out on the lake. And so um, 
I have video, videos scheduled to come out. There's going to be some stuff released while I'm gone, and that's intentional. Um, but if there's breaking news, I'm not going to talk about it until I get back in a couple days because I just want to go to the woods and center myself and hang out on the lake and take a little break. And so, and that rhymed. It's kind of cool. Um, you know, there's a long stretch ahead, right? July 29th until February. If all the sports actually happen, it's going to be a crazy five, six month stretch of a lot of stuff jam packed going on. And so, I just want to tell people that if there's breaking news, don't expect me to make a video about it for a couple days. Uh, we'll do it down the road. And I feel bad. I'm not going to cover the first couple of days of baseball, but I just know for myself, I need to mentally kind of center and figure my, you know, I journal a lot and get myself right before this long period of, of work ahead. Okay. Um, when I heard that the MLB season was going to be having a shorter amount of games, a 60 game season. Oh, I was so happy. I went, yes, this is the thing I've wanted for so long from baseball. And I know because I get a lot of messages about it. I know there are people that agree with me that say there's just too many games. And 60 for me, 60 games is a much more manageable amount of games to watch. I mean, I'll take 100. If they do 100 games next year, I'll be so happy. To me, 162 baseball games is too many to watch and cover. There's a game every single night. I don't even know the schedule, even with 60 games, is so condensed. How do you cover a baseball game? How do you cover baseball? Because Tuesday night happens. I record on Wednesday at noon. By the time the episode gets out Wednesday night, it's over. It's a, it's a way past gone. So I don't know how I'm going to cover baseball yet. I have no idea. But games lose their meaning when you have 162 games. Forget covering it. Forget my stupid way of doing sports coverage. When you have an oversaturation of games, when you have too many games available, there's no rarity. Games lose their meaning. There's no playoff value in that game because there are too many Tuesdays, like random Tuesday days, where if you go 0 for 5 and have you know three strikeouts, it doesn't matter the same way as if you have 60 games, a, few, a smaller amount of games makes it so every at-bat, every pitch matters. And baseball is a special sport when it matters. Bottom of the ninth, one out, runner on second base, a base hit might score the runner, you lose the game. There's nothing like that. Every single picture on the edge of your seat, like you're just engrossed and engaged. I love it when baseball matters. But right now, there's just too many random Tuesdays. And so I want to start saying something. Um, I'm going to steal it from my favorite video game podcast has a phrase. They always say, vote with your wallet. And if you want to like something, don't buy it. Do not buy the game if you don't like it. And if you do like something... Put your money where your mouth is and support it. Buy the thing. Vote with your wallet. And so if there's anybody like me who wants to have a permanent change towards a shorter baseball season, not only do you got to put up or shut up, you got to watch baseball. If you actually want a shorter year and you're like in favor of this idea, you better watch baseball. Otherwise, it's meaningless. But we also got to start saying things like we want a shorter season. We got to start putting that out to the world. Hey, I'm watching because I like the shorter season. I like this idea. I like what's going on. We got to put on social media, like hashtag short season MLB 2021 next year. Baseball ratings are going to be through the roof. Baseball ratings are going to be crazy. Because not only are people in America 
desperate for something good to watch, right? It's an election year. The news is awful. It's a global pandemic. We're all stuck in our houses wearing masks all the time. It's miserable. But 2020 has been a tough year. We can all use sports, and we all want something to root for. We're going to look to baseball. I think it's going to be a great time. I'm so excited for baseball. But also another factor is, hey, it's a shorter season. Baseball matters more than ever before because the games are all important. Now, my fear is baseball is going to misinterpret the data. Baseball, you ever, a middle school boy, if a girl is nice to a middle school boy, the middle school boy misinterprets what's going on. He goes, oh, she likes me. Can you believe the girl likes me? And the reality is the girl doesn't like him. She's just being nice. <laughs> but we misinterpret the data. And baseball is going to do the same thing where baseball will look at the ratings and think, oh, yes, we're back. People love baseball again. Woo! The reality is it's a perfect storm of there's nothing else going on. We need something to pick us up. And it's a shorter season, which people have wanted for a long time. And so we got to speak up on social media. Use whatever voice you have. I'm going to do it a lot. Hey, baseball's great. Can we have a shorter season next year too? Shorter, hashtag short season MLB 2021. There are some baseball fans that hear me say that and are furious. But for me, it's what I want. That's the sport I like. And if I'm going to vote with my wallet. I'm going to say, hey, this is a thing I like. I'm watching, I'm engaged, and let me tell you, I want more of this. I want more of the rarity that makes baseball special. The important games that matter are incredible. I love the sport of baseball. The MLB's been hard for me recently because there's too many games, and I I just can't watch every game. It's too, not that you should, I I don't think anybody really does. Very few people, unless you're retired and old at your house, very few people watch every single baseball game of every single season that a team plays. But I just... I want to. I want to be more engaged with baseball. And if you shorten the season and make it easier for me, I'm in. And not just make it easier, but also, let's be honest, a six-game losing streak in a 162-game season is not a big deal. In a 60-game season with way few, like less than 100 fewer games, if you lose six games in a row, that's a really big deal. You're in deep trouble. Baseball needs to have their games matter. So I, I'm going to be watching this year because of the shorter season. It likely will not change, but we got to do our best. And if you want that to change as well, put that message out there. Say, hey, hashtag short season MLB 2021. Hashtag short season MLB 2021. Say, I love baseball, and I love that this year has a shorter season. Put that out to the world. Um, and then maybe what's going to happen is they'll bring back 162 games next year. They'll have way too many games. Ratings will go down, and they might eventually wake up and go, oh, huh, maybe if we shorten the season just a little bit, people will watch at a much higher volume. Right now, there are too many baseball games. It's oversaturated. 60 is great. I'll take 100. That'd be awesome for me. But my point is you got to speak up. you got to share your thoughts and put it out to the world. Okay, uh, that's like my thing. I go, okay, uh, that's like my stupid nervous tick between every uh, every topic. I'm noticing that. No one's ever pointed that out to me, but I can tell from myself. I, I always li- try to listen for those. It's not good, Zach. Don't do it. Um, there we go again. Every year I do NFL predictions. I do a segment on each team. We, we'll do it again this year. It'll be really fun. About you know mid to end of August, we'll do a prediction for a prediction, a couple episodes where we predict and do a segment of every single team for the 2020 NFL season. We're not there yet. We're still a few weeks away from doing next year. But after last season, I came up with a series I was really proud of 
called Predictions Versus Reality. It was a chance to go back and revisit my predictions to kind of ask questions like, hey, how did my predictions work out? What was I wrong about? What did I get right? Why? What happened? And for whatever reason, I was in the middle of this series. I think coronavirus happened. I never completed the series. I never finished Predictions Versus Reality. I never did Predictions Versus Reality for the NFC West. And I get messages from people all the time asking, hey, are you going to finish it? Can you finish it? I want to see it. And so let's do it. Let's revisit my predictions from 2019 for the NFC West. We'll start with the San Francisco 49ers. Here is what I said about the San Francisco 49ers heading into the 2019 season last year. I cut together about a minute from my recap, you know, a minute recap of my prediction from last year. I want to play the clip. Enjoy that now. There's a lot of nice stuff I can say about the 49ers. Um, I like their running backs, Tevin Coleman, Jared McKinnon, Matt Breida. Uh, they have some good receivers, Dante Pettis, Trent Taylor. They drafted a guy named Debo Samuels, another guy named Jalen Hurd is good. And on paper, the 49ers offensive line is fantastic. You know, they got Joe Staley, Weston Richburg at center. Uh, you know, they got Mike McGlinchey at the tackle. I like, you know, Richard Sherman's still a stud. There's all kinds of reasons to like him. In fact, I think I'd love to go on about their defensive line. Nick Bosa is a really good defensive lineman they just brought in. Uh, they brought in D Ford. If you're a 49ers fan, Quan Alexander and uh, Fred Warner are great linebackers. But I'll be honest, I'm just not sure that Jimmy Garoppolo is up for the task. They're on the upswing, maybe, if Jimmy Garoppolo can improve and they can keep building their roster, but they're going to play a lot of really good teams this year. And I think as a result, the 49ers are going to go 6-10 and 10 and are just in a position where they're trying to build for the future because this year... Uh, in my opinion, just ain't it, Chief. <laughs> it's not the year of the 49ers. You know, what's interesting watching that clip. Not only is it, man, we're in a different studio now. The show has come a long way. But it's funny how much I got right despite being so wrong about the 49ers. It blows my mind. I had the foresight to see how good the roster was. I could tell, oh, wow, great running game, head coach, good defensive line. And I think I got stuck in the mud a little bit on one detail where I kept saying in my head, the 49ers are two more years away from a Super Bowl. That's kind of how I felt. I'd been saying that the whole time leading up. And obviously the 49ers went to the Super Bowl this year. They lost to the uh, you know, Kansas City Chiefs. And oddly enough, I believe the 49ers just peaked a little bit too early. I did a film analysis video of the Super Bowl. And the limiting factor for the 49ers was their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, which is like, ah, dang it. And I believe Jimmy is going to keep improving. Jimmy G is going to get better. They got a great coach, a good organization around him. And it's like, man, the roster was all there. The quarterback was just a year or two away from being ready to win a Super Bowl in a situation like that. And what's hilarious, I mean, I predicted the 49ers to go 6-10. and 10. How absurdly bad and wrong is that they went 13 and three like I I had I'll take my lumps I sounded like an idiot uh given when you look back and go you said that and then they did this oh my gosh um you know the 49ers dominated the NFC West other than the Seattle Seahawks and I just didn't realize how good and how how much the roster in San Francisco could carry Jimmy G they really went a long way despite of him and he'll get there. I really believe he's getting better. He'll make strides. He just he they peaked a little bit too early. Their quarterback wasn't quite good enough to win when they needed him to. But I mean they got they had a great defense. They ran the ball well. 
And the 49ers got away with it all the way until the end of the year. It caught up with them in San Francisco. But I just go back to, I fear they peaked a little too early. And I hope they get another shot. I, I really like the 49ers. I like Kyle Shanahan. I like John Lynch. I like what they're doing in San Francisco. They're building a really great, well-built organization. They're doing it the right way, building their offensive and defensive lines. And Jimmy G is going to be much improved in two more years. So I really personally would like to see the 49ers get another shot down the road. I just think they're a team this year that peaked a little bit too early and their quarterback wasn't good enough when they needed him to be to win a Super Bowl when it mattered. I did a whole film analysis. Go watch it. There's many examples of you look at Jimmy G going, oh, that's a bad read and that's a missed throw and this and that. And so Jimmy G was a limiting factor. But obviously the 49ers did much better than I predicted this year and I'll take my lumps. Now, going into the last season, 2019, I predicted the Seattle Seahawks to go 8-8. Eight and eight. Now, the reality is they went 11-5. and five. Bit of a miss for me. Um, now, here's something I nailed. Listen to this. But what I'm really excited to watch with the Seattle Seahawks is the way they used their second-round draft pick, DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf was kind of a sensation around the NFL draft. Um, you know, he's six foot three, ran a four, three, three forty time. And he's a great deep threat in college. He was used a lot. And I believe the Seahawks are going to use him in play action and throw the ball deep to him often and just make the guy stretch and run the field and, and chuck the ball deep to him. It's, I'm really excited to watch that this year. So DK Metcalf was a blast to watch last year. Uh, and the question is, why did the Seahawks overachieve my expectations? Why did they go 11 and five when I predicted them to go eight and eight? And it's funny, I was right, they have a flawed roster, and their roster had problems last year. But the reason why the Seahawks did better than I predicted was Russell Wilson. In my opinion, Russell Wilson should have won the NFL MVP in 2019. He was the league MVP, in my opinion. He would have got my vote. The Seahawks won a couple of games they really shouldn't have because of Russell Wilson. He was the most valuable player by far. The most impressive performance of the year from anybody to me was week 10, Russell Wilson against the 49ers defense. They beat the 49ers and they had no business beating them. And he played the 49ers defense twice. Nobody played the 49ers defense, even Patrick Mahomes, who beat them in the Super Bowl. Nobody played the 49ers defense quite as good as Russell Wilson did last year. The best defense in the NFL Russell Wilson handled them better than anybody else. RW should have won the MVP last year. He had an MVP level season and he single-handedly screwed up my prediction. That is why the Seahawks went 11 and 5 rather than 8 and 8. Now, I predicted the Arizona Cardinals to go 4 and 12 last year during the 2019 season. Go back and watch my prediction video for them. I nailed the overall theme of the year for the Cardinals. They went 5, 10, and 1. You know, they, they really, they were a smidge better than I expected by like a tiny, tiny amount. But I was right. This was a growing year for Kyler Murray. I was also right to say, man, the offensive line was better. The defense was making strides and getting better, making progress. But it was a growing year for Kyler Murray, where the year and the season revolved around him. But they are building something in Arizona. I was right about that. Last year was a building year for Arizona. But the Cardinals put themselves in a position with a good head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, a new receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, Kenyon Drake at running back, a great quarterback, a better offensive line. The defense with Isaiah Simmons are just getting better and better. 
The Cardinals are in a position to do really well this year. And part of it is because they took last year and built their team and were patient. And they were, they're really building something, in my opinion, in Arizona. Now, the L.A. Rams, last year for the 2019 season, I predicted the Rams to go 12-4. and four. Oh, I was hilariously wrong. I was only three games off. Reality is the Rams went 9-7, and seven, but I also predicted them to win their division. I even, like, stupidly threw out something like, they could go back to the Super Bowl. And I feel, that's like the most embarrassing thing in that whole prediction video. I'll go, oh, Zach, you were wrong, wrong, wrong. And I'm not too embarrassed. Like, you make a prediction, you expect, hey, I might be wrong. Um, but, in, in fact, when the year ended, though, I, not only did they not make the playoffs, they didn't, they didn't win their division, they didn't make the playoffs, they really underachieved compared to what I believed they would do. But I even was left wondering after the year, is Jared Goff their quarterback any good? It, it was that bad last year. I went, oof. Now, my biggest question mark going into the year, even in the video I talk about it, was their running back Todd Gurley, where he'd gotten hurt the year before, he really seemed off at the end of the year in 2018. And last year, he underperformed in 2019. He actually got cut in the offseason. He's now no longer a member of the L.A. Rams. And now, I got to dive into Jared Goff's film. I, I will admit, I, I want to tell you, I want to be honest and say, I, I know what I don't know, and I don't know why Jared Goff was so bad. I think it's going to take a really deep dive into film to explain that. Um, and I don't know, was it his offensive line? I don't think Sean McVay suddenly became a bad coach overnight. I think Sean McVay is a good coach. They had Cooper Cup back from an injury. What happened? Why did things go south so quickly for Jared Goff? Was it that the running game with Todd Gurley and the offensive line was bad? I don't know. Um, but it's going to take a film analysis to figure it out. But something went very, very wrong in L.A. last year. They went 9-7. and seven. People say like they could have been a playoff team. They were in, the, you know, in contention. But my expectations were they were going to be up here. And they really ended up a little bit farther down here. They had an interesting defense. They had to trade away Marcus Peters, but they got uh, Jalen Ramsey from the Jaguars. They have Aaron Donald. There are some pieces still in L.A. They're not a team in complete tatters. Um, But whatever happened with Jared Goff, I just got to dive into film and figure it out. I haven't done it yet, Um, so I want to be open and honest about that. But that's whatever happened with Jared Goff is what will explain what happened with the 2019 L.A. Rams. All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. I'm doing well. I'm off to the lake. I'm going to go sit on the lake on a boat with my friends for, man, a couple days, uh, wear sunglasses and swim trunks and just hang out. Um, I just want to say thank you so much. Your support on Patreon and watching the show and listening to the show um, has really changed my life forever, and I'm so grateful um, and, uh, you know, I, I just am grateful. So guys, uh, I love you so much. I'll be back, um, in a couple days. Hope you have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.